This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. Today we're going to continue a series we started last weekend uh, called Reach. If you happen to miss it, man, I would encourage everybody just to go on to our podcast. It's really simple to do and, and kind of catch up because we're not going to get to be able to get into everything that we got into last week. But the series is kind of about this. We posed a few different questions and we began our conversation there. Here, here's one. Is there a way to live a full fearless life in the midst of terror-filled headlines? Another one. In a world where tragedy fights to be common... Is change really possible? In the midst of society, I think that we all, if we're really honest, man, there's so much of the time, it's just like, uh, I think we feel confused. I think we feel lost. I think that we feel uh, scared. I think that's a common emotion. Man, is, is it ever going to get better? We see the things that are going on in the world around us. For many of us, we see the things that are going on in our own personal lives. And it can be very discouraging. Is a full life possible in the midst of terror-filled headlines? Is it possible to live beyond the situations that we face? And so last week, we, we talked about this. And the only way that we believe that it's possible is by looking to God. This is why you showed up here today. You're looking for more in some area of your life. You're, you're reaching for something greater than yourself. In fact, if we want to be able to live a full life, even when life can be challenging, here's how we have to do it. In the, big, in the book of uh, uh, Philippians, it says it like this. No, dear brothers, I'm still not all that I should be. In other words, when I look at my life, it's not everything that I want it to be. You, you feel like that maybe today. Maybe you look at some area of your life, man, I wish this was different. I wish that was different. I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish they hadn't have done that. So things aren't the way that I want them to be. There's, there's tragedy, there's murder, there's, there's, there's self-harm, there's suicide. There's things in the world that, I, man, I wish it was different, uh, but the, here's what I do. I, I bring all of my energies, even when things aren't the way that I want them to be, I bring all of my energies. In other words, everything that makes up who I am, the way that I think, the way that I act, my ability, uh, where I go, how I do what I do, I, I bring all of my energies to bear on this one thing. What is the one thing? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. How do I live a full life in the midst of tumultuous times? How do I live a full life in the midst of a society that seems to be just, just going downhill? I forget the past and I reach forward to something greater. I keep looking towards the future. In other words, I keep my heart full, full of hope and expectation that it can get better. Why? Because when I set my attention on the future... I'm reminded of something. It says this, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for God is calling us up to heaven because of what Jesus did for us. So I'm able to live a full life. The only thing that brings meaning to the situations that I face on earth, the only way I can get past tragedy and calamity and loss is how? By forgetting, forgetting the past and just reaching towards the future because when I reach towards the future, what am I reminded of? I'm reminded of the fact that this is not our final resting place. We are not just humans, people occupying a space in a system. You are a spirit being. In other words, you live forever. You're just passing through. This is what brings meaning to the context of our lives. When I realize, hey, everything that's going on down here, man, this is, this is temporary. There's, there's a bigger picture. There's a reason, in other words, that you're on this earth. There's a reason that you're here. There's a reason that God has you on this earth. And we talked about it last week in Matthew. It says it like this, very direct. Let me tell you why you're here. That's what God says. Let me tell you why you're here. 
Your purpose is this. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. In other words, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? I'm, I'm salt seasoning to bring out the, the God flavors of this earth. What does that mean? Well, there's a portion of the scripture that says, the taste and see that the Lord is good. You are the salt of the earth. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You are the salt of the earth. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, the way people taste and see God is through you. That's the reason why you're here. The reason why God wants you to be wealthy, the reason why God wants you to have healthy relationships, the reason why God wants you to be healthy is because you are the way that people will see God. People will see God through you. In fact, he makes it even a little bit more plain. He says it like this. He says, uh, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. Is what he calls your life. Your purpose on this earth, the way to live beyond situations and tragedy, you, you have to remember that when I focus on the future, I remember there's a bigger picture. I'm here, you're here, we're here to be light. What does that mean? Bringing out the God colors in the world. He says, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. He says, I make you light bearers. You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? In other words, I'm not going to isolate you. I'm not going to want you to have a life that is just me-centric and focused on me and what I can accomplish. No, if I've, if I've made you light, he says, I'm not going to hide you under a bucket. I'm going to put you on a light stand. And now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. I love this part. He says, keep open house. Uh, be generous with your lives. Be generous with your lives. Inclusive, not exclusive. Be generous with your lives because by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. We talked about how your life, every aspect of your life, it's not about how much you have. It's about using what you do have to be light in the world around you. You have something. And this is the incredible thing about God. Even in the midst of our broken lives, we look at our lives, don't we? And we think, man, I don't have nothing to offer this world. Man, my life is messed up. My relationships are messed up. It just, when I look at my life, it doesn't thing, seem like things are really put together. God couldn't use that. You know that your broken, messed up life is exactly what God wants to use? He wants to use the broken pieces that you, never, you would never dream possible that he would be able to use. He wants to use even those things to be light, to show that there's show people that are broken and hurting and helpless and hopeless to, so that they can be encouraged that there's hope found in God. When we look at situations, if we're honest about our world, wouldn't we say that our world is just getting darker? I mean, if we look at the calamity that we're facing, we look at murder and we, and we look at all of these tragedies, we say, man, it just seems like the world is getting darker. This is a great opportunity for us as followers and believers in God who own our purpose which is more than just to make money, which is more than just to achieve fame, which is more than just, I want to be everything that I can be. You're here to be light. When I focus on that, what happens in darkness? Where there's darkness, light has the ability to get brighter. I showed this example uh, last week when we got together. I had these lamps on the stage and we began to bring down the, the room, the, the lights in the room. And what happened as, as the lights got darker in the room? What happened to the lamps? The lamps stood out more. They became brighter. This is what our lives are intended to do. So in the midst of situations that we can't understand, when I lift my attention a little bit higher, when I set my focus not on the here and now, not things that, that I'm going through here, but, but I actually focus on the future, I remember, hey, there's a bigger picture. Hey, I'm, I'm, not, just a, I'm not just a person here and now. I live in eternity somewhere, somewhere. I have hope. I understand that my purpose. And I think that we want to look towards the future. 
I think we want to believe that a better outcome is possible. I think there's some things that keep us from it. I want to talk about two before I talk about, uh, like I said last week, and three lights that I believe God has given us. Here's two things that I think keep us from living our best future. The first one is this, sin. One of the things that I think keeps us from our best future is sin. You're probably thinking, great, like here we go again. Like I'm going to hear about all the things that I'm messing up in, in my life or things that I'm not doing right that that I already know I'm not doing right, and here comes the, the guilt and all that. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I think in our world, we are sin-obsessed. I think we focus our attention so much on sin. When we talk about sin, what are we talking about? We're talking about wrong, uh, missing the mark. That's what, what sin really is. We're obsessed with it, don't we? I mean, isn't our society known for its finger-pointing? You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing this. Don't you know that that's sin? Don't you know that you shouldn't be doing that? We say this to each other. Even, you, is it, and we ask ourselves the question, is this a sin? You do know that's a sin. And we're, we're, we're sin obsessed. We're sin conscious. Everything that we think about is, am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? What if I mess up in the future? What about the things that I've, I've done in my past? And we're, we're fully obsessed. You know, you know what's really interesting about this? You know what's even more fascinating about how we point fingers at each other? Telling people, showing each other where, where you're wrong and where you're wrong. Aren't we all wrong about something? Don't we all, if we're honest, have broken pieces in our life? Don't, don't we, aren't we all wrong or, or sinful about something? I mean, this is what Jesus said. Jesus came to earth and he like took the bar from here and he like set it way up here. He would say things like, hey, no longer is it just committing adultery that's a sin. All you got to do is think about committing adultery. Sin. That's the stuff that he said. He, he went so far to say anything outside of faith is sin. There's another portion of scripture that says if you had the seed of the, uh, if you had the size of faith of a mustard seed, you'd be able to move a mountain. You know anybody that's moved a mountain, right? So I, I think that we, we, we lack faith in our lives, which would mean that we have sin in our lives. But so much of the time, this focus on sin keeps us from the future. We miss the fact that the whole reason, the whole message behind Christianity is that Jesus stripped sin of its power. In other words, he took this thing that used to be able to control us that we should have been worried about and he stripped it of its power. In other words, we shouldn't be so sin obsessed. We shouldn't be so sin conscious. This is where my furry little friend comes in, okay? This, um, this is a Wolverine. Maybe you've seen his movies. No? Got better laugh that service. First service, they didn't like that joke. Anyway, Wolverine, okay? A Wolverine, you know what's crazy about a Wolverine? If I was standing this close to a Wolverine that was alive, I, I should be terrified. Because a wolverine can kill something 10 times its size. There's stories about wolverines actually killing bears. Like, that's how serious this is. Serious business. So if I'm in a room with a, with a wolverine, I need to be keeping my distance. I need to be watching out. All, everything that I do, I need to be hiding, making sure I'm not getting close. But yet we look at this wolverine. He's been to a taxidermist. It's stuffed. It's not alive. It's not real. How silly would it be if I'm standing here, and as I'm talking to you, I keep just, like, looking at the wolverine just to make sure that it's not, like, sneaking up on me. And, man, I hope that wolverine doesn't get me. And I'm looking all terrified. And you're like, why are you so scared? I'm like, there's a wolverine in the room. What if it bites me? What if it attacks me? And you'd be like... You'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, it, it doesn't have any power. It's not alive. But yet, this is what we do with sin. This is what we do in our lives. We're so sin-focused and sin-conscious, and we're enamored. And I hope, do you know what you're doing that's wrong? Do you know what I'm doing that's wrong? You know about the things that, and, and we live this life of something that's terrified, that Christ Jesus, if you don't like this, then you need to find a different religion, because this is the reason that Jesus came, was to strip sin of its power. Why? Why? So that we can have the freedom to live towards our future, because here's what sin does. Sin will always keep you guilty about the past, 
and fearful about the future. This is the nature of sin. When I'm sin-obsessed, when I'm thinking about right and wrong constantly all the time, I'm not living my life. I'm not living the life that Christ has designed me to live. I'm not living a free life. What am I? I'm, 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 I'm feeling guilty, overwhelmed about the things that I used to do or that I've done. And I'm fearful about the future. What if they happen again? What if people find out? See, Jesus came to rid sin of its power. Is this a license to do just whatever we want? No. This is freedom to live our lives with the power that Christ has given us. Because now I'm not making good decisions in my life because I have to. I'm not making good decisions in my life so that God will accept me. Now I'm making good decisions in my life because I'm living towards the future that God has planned for me. I'm living towards the future that I desire to have, the best life that God has created, created me. The, one of the greatest things that can keep us, can distract us. Really, that's what it is, a distraction. One of the greatest distractions from your future is sin. Jesus has dealt with the sin issue. Free yourself. From, from this bondage that says that you have to be a victim to sin. You don't. That's the message of Christianity. You are enough because Jesus died on a cross and was dead and came back from the dead so that you could be enough. Now, when God sees you, he no, see, no longer sees you based upon your mistakes or your failures. He sees you based upon the goodness of your God in your life. Here's the second thing that I think distracts us from our future. It's, it's yourself. I think we're, we're, we live in a self-obsessed society. We live me-centric lives. We're focused on me. And I think that it starts actually in a really good place. Where does it start? A drive to be authentic. Except when you you live this life trying to be authentic, you you very, uh, very quickly find out that it's kind of tough to live an authentic life because you feel the pressures of what people want you to be or you admire people so much that, man, I want to be like them so much that you start gravitating towards being like other people and you're no longer... Uh, authentic. In, in our world, we're, we're obsessed with this idea of, man, who am I, right? Self-discovery. Like, I want to be my true self. Have you ever heard that said? We're obsessed with be your true self. Be, be authentic. But really, this is, this is a great distraction. Why? Because who you are is a moving target. Who you are as a person, who I was five years ago is not who I am today. Five years ago, I used to hate sushi. I used to hate raw fish. I would go nowhere near raw fish. Now, I like love raw fish. I love pokey. I can eat it like two, three, four times a week. Like I, I think I may have an addiction. So when you look at my life, would you, would you say, where, was I not being my true self when I, when I didn't like sushi? No. Who I am is a, moving, is, is a moving target. Instead of focusing on who you are, focus on who you want to be. Instead of focusing on this obsession of, man, I need to discover who I am. I need to come into my own. I need to be comfortable with who I am. Instead, ask yourself the question, who do I want to be? This obsession over, man, being myself, that's the greatest distraction. It's kind of like if your life is a garden. Your life is a garden. Say I I were to plant tomatoes in my garden. Maybe I planted tomatoes year after year after year to where I became like the tomato guy. And then one, one year you said, you know what, I think I don't want to plant tomatoes anymore. I think I'm going to plant green onions, right? Planted green onions. Would I not be myself because I'm planting green onions? No, you say, you're still a garden. You're just planting something different. Why? Because I want different fruit in my life. And some of us in our lives, it would be a great idea for us to plant something different. Some of us have the same bad attitude year after year after year after year. It would do us some good to cultivate something new in our lives. Instead of just excusing, well, this is just the way that I am. What if we reached... What if we reached for something greater? What if we reached to be better? Instead of just settling for, man, this is just me, ask yourself the question, who do you want to be? 
I believe that's how you're the truest version of yourself. When you're reaching towards something, when you're reaching to be better, when you're reaching to be a better mom, a better dad, a better sister, a better worker, a better person in society, a better child of God, where you come and, you, and you're giving your life to everything that you should be giving your life to. Here's, here's the kind of the, the crux of the matter that I want to kind of continue this conversation with today. And it's this big question. What do you want to be remembered for? At the end of your life, When you tap out, when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? The the fact of the matter is, is none of us get out of this life alive. We're all eventually going to die. And at the end of each and every one of our lives, we're all remembered for something. We look at the lives of people who have been lost in tragedy. You know, every single one of those people, they've been remembered. You, You remember them for something. You may have a family member, a friend, a uh, somebody that, that, that passed away early. You, you have remembrances. They're, they're remembered for something. Your life will be this way. When you're dead and gone, you will be remembered for something. This question is a question that I think we should ask ourselves more often. When I look at my life, what do I want to be remembered for? You know, if I look at my life, if I'm being really honest, there's people that they'll remember me for really great things. There's people that remember me from being maybe encouraging, being there for them, being somebody that they could count on. But you know that there's other people that will remember me for bad things. People will remember me for my worst mistake, maybe how I treated them poorly, maybe how I flew off the handle and had a, have, had a bad attitude. We're all remembered for something. And so I want to talk about today, God says that we're supposed to be light. He says that he's given us lights. Our, our life is to be light. I want to take on three different lights that I believe God has given each and every one of us. And I want us to ask ourselves the question. It's going to get a little heavy in here for a second. But to ask ourselves the question, A, if I was to tap out today, what would I be remembered for as it pertains to this issue? Okay, so the first one, here we go. I'm going to start really heavy. It's going to make you probably uncomfortable. So I'm just going to send it, and then we'll, we'll take a little bit of time, seven minutes or so, and we'll, we'll move on, and we can take a deep breath. Okay, you ready? Here's the first one. This is the light that God has given you. It is your money. Okay? It's your money. God has given us money. It's a light that God has given us. And the reason I, I preface it with, hey, it's going to get, a, they're going to feel tension in the room, because money's private. Money's personal. We work really hard for our money. There's things that you don't talk about when you're in conversation with people. And one of them is, hey, how much money do you make, right? It's just like a no-no conversation, right? Money is something that is really, really precious to us. Uh, I, I, I think about my son. My son's seven years old, and he has this obsession with Pokemon cards. It's the weirdest thing to me. Like, I, I brought a card with me. Uh, it's just like, it's a little card. has a character on it. And uh, basically, it, it, it gives a little information about the character. And he is obsessed with these, like everywhere in my house, like serious, serious obsession. You'll find them in our cover, cupboards. You go to, go to pour a bowl of cereal, and one will fall out. Like, that's just how crazy it is. I mean, slip on your shoe. You're liable to get one between your toes. Like, they, they're, they're everywhere. Like, he's obsessed with them. To me, they're kind of meaningless, they're kind of pointless. For, for me, I have a lot of things that are a whole lot more valuable than these Pokemon cards. I have not really a whole lot of interest in them. And yet I find myself becoming interested in them, learning about them, uh, having conversations with my kid about them. Why? Because he's interested in them. 
In fact, I'll even like use Pokemon card analogies to like teach him lessons and things like that. I've even found myself being protective over these dumb, silly cards that I don't even care about. Like he'll, he'll be getting ready to get out of the car to go to school. And he has like these binders, like a photo album type thing of just like hundreds and hundreds of cards. And he'll be like, okay, dad, see you later. And he'll pick up the cards and be, and I'm like, and I'm like Elam, Elam, don't take your Pokemon cards. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because I, I, I see a bigger picture. I'm thinking, well, he's probably going to lose them, you know, and some of them are valuable and, and uh, the kids might steal them. Other kids there like, like these Pokemon. I become protective and I want him to leave them with me. I want him to trust me with them because I know that I can take better care of them than he can, right? I become obsessed with his obsession. This is what money is. This is what money is to God. Did you know that money in and of itself to God is pretty darn meaningless? God, does, God doesn't need money. He doesn't operate. Why do we need money? Because we have a trade system here on earth. In other words, you have something that I want, so I'm going to give you money so that you give me something. In other words, I'm lacking something. There's no lack in heaven. God doesn't lack. He has no need for money. In and of itself to God, money is meaningless. And yet, you know what's fascinating? When you read the Bible, God talks more about money than almost any other topic well, that seems pretty insane. Like, why would he talk so much about money? Why would Jesus' examples be always about the coin that was lost? And he would challenge people with their finances and, like, give all of these examples that are financial, financially oriented. You know why God cares about money? Because you care about money. It's like me. It's like my son with his Pokemon cards. They're not valuable to me because he values them so much. I, as a dad, I value them because I value what he values. This is, God, this is what God does with us. The reason God talks about money and values money is because we value money. We obsess about money. We go to work every single day to make money. It's what makes our world go around. And just like with my son, just like with my son, I want him to trust me with this thing that he's so obsessed about. Why do I want him to trust me with the, the, with the Pokemon cards that he has? Because I know I can take better care of him than he can. And so when you read scripture, when you read the Bible, these things that God asks us to do with our money, the things that God guides us to do with this resource, this light that we have, it really shouldn't be offensive if we understand the fact that, hey, God is kind of like we are with our kids. Like he just wants us to trust, trust him with this resource because he knows we, he can take care of us better than we can take care of ourselves. I know what you're thinking. Like some of you are probably struggling. Like how does that make a whole lot of sense? Let, let me remind you that you didn't show up to church today because you were grasping towards logic. You showed up into a building to worship an invisible God that you cannot see. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right? You showed up at any one of our experiences to come in and we worshiped and we lifted our hands and we praised God and we worshiped him and, and yet we worshiped this God that we cannot see. We're not looking for logic. We're, we're reaching for something greater than logic. And if I'm going to believe in the God who is greater, I'm going to have to choose. I'm going to want to gravitate towards his ways that would also be greater. So there's two things that God asks us to do with our money, and we're almost done, and we'll move on. Here's the first thing. He asks us to tithe. Tithe is giving 10% of our money to the local church. If you have never been impacted by the local church, I would say, that, hey, this probably doesn't pertain to you. If, like, if, if, if the message of Jesus through the church has not impacted you, then yeah, don't, don't support it. But for those of us, man, if you've been impacted, if you found hope, help, healing, restoration, encouragement, if you found a sense of family through the local church and through God, wouldn't it make sense that we would support this cause, that we would support this cause of what Christ is doing in the earth? And this is what God says. If you'll give 10% of my income, he, there's, there's two reasons. The first way, reason is just that shows that we trust God. Kind of like my po the Pokemon cards of my son. Hey, leave them with me. Why? Because I can take better care of them than you can. Trust me with them. 
The second thing that our tithe does is it pushes the cause of Christ forward through the local church. In other words, the message of Jesus is free, but it will only go as far as the dollar will take it. Like it takes resources to get it out. So God says, hey, trust me with 10% of your income, which is not, it's not about how much money you have. I get mo- many of us are struggling financially. Some of us have a lot of money. Some of us have a little. It's not about the amount. It's about the trust. And he says, when you trust me, this is the incredible thing about God. He says that he'll do something uh, to, to kind of follow it up. If you'll trust me with, your, with tithe, with 10% of your income, here's what I'll do. He says, I will rebuke uh, the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. In other words, he says it like this. When you tithe for my part, here's another translation, uh, for my part, I will defend you against robbers or thieves. I will protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers. We don't have vegetable gardens and wheat fields. What do we have? We have a bank account. So the principle is God says uh, this, if I'll honor him with 10%, then he'll protect what I have. So to help you understand it, what the tithe is, is the tithe is like an insurance that protects what you have. You understand like an insurance. So this is kind of God, this is God's principle. Okay? It's what's in, in scripture. Uh, so in other words, when we honor God with 10%, God makes the 90% stretch further than the 100% could have on his own. How does that make sense? It's a spiritual principle. And we believe in it and we try it. And we hear stories all the time about people who have benefited from this. If you can believe in an invisible, invisible God, my challenge to you today is maybe to believe in his invisible ways. This is why at our church, uh, we have even the tithe challenge card. What is that? It's not a gimmick. Uh, the Bible says in Malachi, God says, try me or test me now in this if this principle won't benefit you. In other words, if you'll trust me with your Pokemon cards, I'll make sure that you're taken care of, but I, I, I need, you to, need you to trust me. And so that's why we'll get behind this, this whole idea with the tithe challenge card. What is the tithe challenge card? It's a tough thing to give 10% of your income to the local church. So what we say is try it for three months. If your life isn't better, if you haven't seen God be faithful to you, then we'll give you your money back. Not a gimmick. God said, try me now in this. So we get behind it. If the principle of the tithe, supporting the, 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 you know, the church with, uh, supporting the cause of Christ with 10% of our income. The other thing God asks us to do with this light, that is money to make a difference in the world around us, is to give offerings. An offering is simply anything that you give, the generous life that you live above 10%. So you don't, may not go to the church. It may go to another organization that pu- pushes forward the cause of Christ. When I'm, I'm using my life uh, as a light to shine through my resources, that's what, what an offering is. What does an offering do? Same thing as a tithe. The first thing, it just shows that you trust God with a resource that's most precious to you. The second thing that it does is it just pushes the cause of Christ forward. So where the tithe is like an insurance that protects what you have, what offerings are is, is offerings are like an investment that increases what you have. What am I talking about? Luke 6 says it like this, give and it will be given back to you. But not just given back, given back with bonus and blessing. In other words, God says, if I'll trust him with the resources that I have, even beyond just giving back 10% to the local church, he'll make sure that I'm taking uh, care of. And we see this in, in our lives all the time. It's, and, and I hope that you guys understand. It's not about what you have. It's about the heart to trust God with what you do have. I've seen this in my, my parents' life uh, growing up. I mean, my dad was going to Bible school. He's making $22 a day. He didn't have, we didn't have a whole lot of money as, as kids. Um, this, this principle was ingrained into my dad and he believed it. He believed, if I was going to believe in an invisible God, then I was going to believe in his invisible ways. And so at the church, uh, they were doing the church that we went to as kids. Uh, they were doing a building project, and uh, they would encourage people, hey, stretch yourself. We want to we expand the church. Why? So that we could reach more people with this message of hope. And my dad would talk about how, man, sometimes it was, it was embarrassing, but you know what they would do between him 
and my mom, they would, they would sometimes give nickels, they'd give, they'd give quarters, they'd give, they'd give dimes if, if, if that was all that they had because it wasn't, it's not about how much you have. God's not, not looking at that. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at do you trust him with a resource that's most precious to you when it comes to your money? Man, this is, this is a, a heavy subject, but, but, but here's, here's kind of what I'm getting at. When it comes to your money, how do you want to be remembered? With what you did with, with this resource that's really valuable in our world, maybe even you might not have a lot. How do you want to be remembered with the little that you have? You know, it's incredible. If we would all just commit to this principle, this principle of just say, like, forget the offerings thing for a second. Like if everybody in the church would commit because we've been so impacted by the message of Jesus to, to give 10% of our income, man, the, the impact that we would have in our world is phenomenal. Like you think about just a church our size, we have about six to 7,000 people in our church uh, across all of our campuses. So if we took that number and we cut it in half, let's just say 3,000 people conservatively to, to say if, if half of the people that you know, called our church to home like committed to this idea of supporting the cause of Christ with 10%, so if half, like just 3,000 people committed to this, uh, we would be able to every single month bring in $1.25 million dollars. $1.25 million put right back into our community to show people hope, help, and the love of Jesus. Currently, you know what we do as a church? We just under $200,000 a month. It takes us about $300,000 just to meet budget, just to keep the lights on, get toilet paper for everybody, wipe their booties, like that kind of stuff. Like, like that's, that's, that's what it takes, like, like brass tacks. What, what, what am I saying? I'm not saying that to shame you or make you feel bad. I'm just saying this to, to, to bring it to the table and say, think about the potential. Think about the change that we could we can make in the world. Think about if you join forces with you and you join forces with me and we would all commit to this cause that we've been impacted by. Man, we could see this world changed overnight. We think about these love story giving initiatives that we're getting ready to do. Man, we're going to impact our community. We're going to raise thousands of dollars to help the homeless and the hurting and we're going to help kids in the foster care system. We're going to give away free bicycles. We're going to do all these crazy things. But you know what? If every one of us would have just, like, if we just commit our lives to this 10% principle, we wouldn't have to raise any extra money. Like, it would already be there. We'd already be able to do all these incredible things. What, what is my point? At the end of your life, you're going to be remembered for something. When it comes to your money, how do you want to be remembered? Okay, deep breath in, deep breath out. Okay, it's over. Okay, everybody okay? Everybody survive through that? I love in Matthew how it says it like this. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. In other words, our resources are only going to go so far here on this earth. It's great for you to have nice things, nice house, nice car, nice boat, whatever. But at the end of your life, you can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead. You can impact lives that will spend forever in eternity. How do you want to be remembered when it comes to your money? Here's the second thing. How do you want to be remembered when it comes to your moments, your time? God has given you your, your time on this earth to be a light. Man, how privileged are we to still be here? There are so many people that did not wake up this morning. So many people that died in their sleep last night. There were so many people that were in car accidents, that were murdered. Uh, there were unjust things that happened to them, and they are not alive today. How blessed are we to be here today? We still have time. And I think when we consider that, we realize just how much time is a gift. What are you doing with the time that you have been given? Uh, one of my, my aunts is, is honestly one of my heroes. And I don't know that I've ever told her because uh, my uncle died of leukemia at a young age. And I remember at her 50th birthday, like I think close to 10 years had passed. And this was, this was the whole thing that she brought up at her birthday party was this question. Man, I ask myself, what have I, been give, what have I done with the years that I've been given since my uncle had passed away? 
And I think if we could live our lives with that mantra, man, am I using my time to be uplifting? Am I prioritizing my time? Does my family come before my work? Does my God come before my family? How am I prioritizing the time that I have? Do I, can I slow down sometimes to, to help a person in need, to hug someone who's hurting, to encourage someone, to ask somebody, hey, are you okay? Am I using my time to invest in eternity? Colossians says it like this, set your affections on things above, not things on this earth. And when you're done with your time, how you're living your life right now, think about your life. Think about how you're living your life right now, how you're using your time. Is that how you want to be remembered? That's the question. The last uh, one, one is this, and this is the third light that, that God has given us. And I'm saying it this way. You're probably going to think, like, what is this? But I'll explain it. Number three is this, your gift. Your gift. God has given each and every one of you a gift. What, what is that? It's, it's your talent, it's, and it's an ability it's the way that you're geared. It's the way that you see the world. It's, it's something that you can do that only you can do. The Bible says that God has given us each a gift. And the crazy thing about these God gifts is God promises that once he gives them, he will never take them back because they're a gift. So God has given you ability. And, and here's kind of my point. You're going to decide in your life how you use it. And we see people all the time that are extremely talented, extremely gifted. They have these God gifts in business. They have God gifts in the arts. They have God gifts in communication. They have God gifts as it pertains to starting nonprofit organizations and businesses. And my question is this, how are you using your gift? Because you can use your gift, this God gift. God will never take him back. You can use it for evil. And God has still given you that gift. What, 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 what I mean, Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler had a God gift. You know what his God gift was? Leadership. And he used his ability to lead people for darkness, for evil. And through that one man's evil, it marked our world forever. We'll never forget the injustice. Think about in your life if you could use your God gift for good. Think about the change that you could effect in the world. Right there in Madeira, right there in Fresno. Think about, think about the God-given the God potential. If you would see the things that God has given, they're not just random. You're not just interested in the things that you're interested in at random. They're God gifts. They're God desires. How are you using your God gift? First Peter says it like this. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And I love this. It says, use them well to serve one another. Are you using your, are you using your God gift just to climb the corporate ladder? Just to make your name great? Just to just to, just to, just to uh, you know, make a lot of money? How are, are you, or are you using it well to serve one another? What, what am I talking about? It says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Allowing your words to be encouraging and uplifting, not degrading to put people down and, and shame others. It says, do you have the gift of helping others? Some people just are just gifted. They're just natural helpers. He says, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. What is your God gift? What do you have? What do you have at your disposal to make a difference? When you look at your gift, when you look at your talent, when you look at the way that you're using it, is that how you want to be remembered? This, this, this message, this conversation that I'm having with you today, it comes, it comes from my heart because this is, this is the story of, of my life. Probably four, four years ago or so, um, I, I, man, I was just in a completely different state of mind. I, I, I lived... 
such a selfish, me-centric life. And if you saw me, you might not even, you might not even know it. Like, I had these dreams and aspirations, and I had things that I wanted to do. I, I was bent on I was going to be an actor. I was going to be a, a musician. I, I wanted fame. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Some of you, like, God, that is God's gift on your life. But for me, it was me-centric. You know why I wanted to do it? So I could show the world what I had. I could, pro- I could prove to everybody that, man, look what I could do. I, I, I did it. And I, I'll never forget I got into to my doctor and I and, uh, was having some, some I, I felt like I was having some symptoms and so they hooked me up to some mach- machines and, and, they, and they hooked me up to this EKG and, and everybody in the doctor's office kind of panicked a little bit, like they're trying to stay calm, uh, but my EKG wasn't uh, re- re- reading, reading normal. And so they all kind of start to, to panic and, and, and they're thinking, man, and so they, they test, they have me come back the next day thinking, man, maybe it's just something that you ate or caffeine. And, uh, and basically it comes down to this, hey, like we think that your heart might be enlarged. That can, there could be some serious, um, there's going to be some serious risks here and we don't want to scare you. And I went through this clo- close to a, a year long by the, all the time all the appointments were kind of just scheduled out. Of, of, of for me, if I'm honest, I would lay down my, my, my head on the pillow at night and I'd be terrified. And you know, you know, you know my thought? What am I going to be remembered for? Like if I was to tap out early, like... How does my family see me? How does my kids see me? How do, how, when I leave, what is the mark that I've left on this earth? What will they say about me? Man, he really showed us. And he really achieved a lot of great things for himself. And maybe for, for somebody, maybe that's enough. But for me, that's not enough. I don't want to live my life just for me. I don't want to live my life so people can pat me on the back and say, wow, look how good you are. No, I want to use every fiber of my existence. I want to use all the breath that I have in my lungs to somehow make a difference on this earth, to somehow leave this place a better place than when I first got here. And I remember, I remember going just a couple of days later in my dad's office and church work, guys, was the furthest thing from my mind. And I don't know why. Like, you grow up in church, you see things, you see people, you know, I've seen my parents go through pain in church. I don't know why, why I didn't want it, but I didn't want it. But, but sometimes, sometimes we can get so focused on what we want that we miss what God has placed in our hands. Sometimes we can get so focused on, man, I want this, I want this, and I want this, that we miss the things that, that are right here, right now, today. And I remember going into my dad, and I said, Dad, I just, I want you to know that with my life, I want my life to count. And so when it comes to the church, like I'm here to serve. I'm here to do anything that you need me to do. I just want to be a part. I want to be faithful to what God has placed in my hands. And, and that's what I'm still doing year after year after year. I, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm not reaching and dreaming and, because God's doing things in my personal life that I could have never have dreamed of. There's things that God, there's, there's a sense of fulfillment that I, that I never had in my life when I was chasing my own thing. Why? Because I focused on not just the temporary, but I've moved my perspective that, hey, there's more to life than this. When it comes to your life, what are you living for? What would your kids say about you? What would your family members say about you? Don't just, don't just settle for status quo. Don't just settle for here and now. Don't just settle for something as temporary as money. Don't just settle for something as temporary as things in a career. Reach, reach a little higher, reach a little further into the God potential that he has placed on the inside of your life. You are here for a purpose. You are meant to be light. Even in your broken state, even in your confused state, God can use you. God can use your situation. And I'm telling you today, man, there's, there's a, a lot that I don't know. There's a lot of things that I'm confused about. There's a lot of things that I don't have all the answers to. But one thing I'm sure of, that God is real. I know my heart compels me that God is real. This message of Jesus is the hope of the world. It's the only thing that makes a little bit of sense. 
That God in his goodness would love me so much that he wouldn't allow me to be damned to hell because of my imperfections and my failures. That God in his grace and mercy would send a part of himself to come and rescue me. That's the only thing that makes a little bit of sense. I could never be good enough to attain to a perfect God on my own. I need a savior. In your life, in our lives, the challenge of this series is to reach a little further, to dig a little deeper. In Matthew, it says it like this. Uh, and this is heavy. I, I didn't say God, God did. He says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. In other words, this whole thing that we come and we do at church and we hear preachers preach, it's not just, it's not a hobby. They're not just incidental additions to your life. They're not just homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words. He says it like this. Here, hear this. They are words to build a life on. He says, if you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Why? Because rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Now hear, hear this part. So, so heavy. Hit me so hard. It says, but, but if you just use my words in Bible studies and you don't work them into your life, if we just come and we hear, man, that's so good, man. Yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, I, I guess I consider that. If I just hear it, if I, if I hear it, but I don't actually work it into my life, he says this, you're like a stupid carpenter. You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach and when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I don't know about you, but this is, this is kind of the, the, the thrust of the conversation today. Let's build our lives upon the rock. Let's be determined in our lives that I'm not going to build my lives on things that are temporary. I'm not going to allow myself to be intoxicated and enticed into the way the system of the world that, that, that wants me to think that this is all that there is, that this is all that I'm, I'm living for. No, I'm going to lift my, hand, my hands a little higher. I'm going to lift my eyes a little bit higher. I'm going to reach a little bit further, and I'm going to build my life upon the rock. It's a life worth building. It's a life worth having. This is the life God wants you to live. Refuse to settle for status quo. Be determined today when you live that I will build my house upon the rock. God, if you said it, I want to trust you with it. I want every fiber of my life. I want my prosperity. I want my healing. God, I want my relationships that are healthy. I want them all, but I want them all because I want them to be light for you. Not so people can see that I'm good, so people can see that he is good. And what he has done in a broken, hopeless individual, he has given us hope, he has given us help, and he has given us life. And this is why we're here. It's a bigger perspective. It's a bigger, bigger, bigger picture. God has called you for something so much more. Build your life upon the rock. We are called to be light. There's a lot of things. Guys, there's a lot of things. I talk to you guys in the lobbies. I, I, I run into you in the grocery store, and I hear your hurt, and I hear your pain. And for all of those things, I do not have an answer for every single one of them. I can't give you a, a broad explanation, but I can tell you that Jesus is the overall answer. And if we will build our lives upon a rock, if we will lift our attention a little bit higher, if we'll keep our focus on our great big God, we're going to make it. We're going to be okay. We're heading somewhere. God's going to use you. He's going to use your life. Here's the question. How do you want to be Remember, in your life, when it comes to your money, when it comes to your talent, your ability, when it comes to your moments, your time, the life that you have, how do you want to be remembered? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? If you never made a decision to place your faith in Christ, man, your house is not built upon the rock. Your life, your life is left up to circumstance. But it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can build your life upon something a whole lot more stable than what this world has to offer. And it's simple. All you have to do is just, just say this out of your mouth. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 
I know your heart's probably already compelling you to do it, so I'm just going to ask everybody to pray this prayer together. We're a family. Nobody prays alone. Clovis Campus, will you help me say it out loud? Say this. Say, Jesus, today, I believe in my heart, and I confess out of my mouth that you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived for me. I believe that you died for me. And I believe you came back from the dead for me. God, help me to live the life that you have made me to live. In Jesus' name. Everybody set? Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together and celebrate with those that made that decision? This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.